0: 2024 cff i can't wait to see you there
1: welcome to biz help for you with host candy messer entrepreneurs like to focus on the big picture like profitability success and a smooth running organization there always seems to be those little things like taxes employee compensation laws regulations, and more. Now, you can get the answers you need in one place. Join us today as we break it all down for you. Now, here is your host, Candy Messer. Hello, and welcome to Bids Help for You with Candy Messer. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you found the information on last week's show, answering questions about freelance work informative. If you are unable to join us and would like to listen to the show, links can be found on our YouTube and Facebook pages, as well as links for iTunes, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Stitcher. If there are topics you'd find beneficial or questions you have, please feel free to reach out to me at media at abandp.com. Now let's learn a little bit about our guests today. For 25 years, Dan Eds has been a practicing management consultant, working primarily with state and local governments, healthcare, K 12 education, higher education, and nonprofits. He's the author of two books the first, Transformation Management, and his most recent book, Leveraging the Genetics of Leadership Cracking the Code of Sustainable Team Performance. His latest book looks at how elite organizations approach the practice of leadership. The results are organizations that drive unparalleled customer value, daily innovation, and unmatched levels of employee engagement. So Dan, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. It's great to be with you.
1: So my first question always is just to tell us a little bit more about yourself, because I read a little tiny bit of a bio, but it's always interesting to hear more about where someone has come from and how they actually got into the industry that they're in. So I'd love you to tell a little bit more about yourself.
2: Sure. Well, um, I didn't go to school to be a management consultant, <laughs> okay. and uh, okay. it, it sort of found me. Um, actually, a, a friend of mine called me one evening and said, um, "I have this." Uh, he was he was the business manager of a fairly large school district, and um, he said, "I have this implant print shop. I don't know. I don't know what to do with it." And I was in the graphic arts business at the time. And um, I had finished my MBA about a year and a half before, and on the kind of a downturn in the economy. And I couldn't couldn't even buy an interview, let alone a job. <laughs> and and um, so uh, I went and visited with him in his office. And I didn't. I had no clue what he what I what he wanted. I didn't know if he was looking for. If, you know, if he wanted me to apply for a job or what. Mm-hmm. I finally figured out what he wanted was a uh, was a, a consulting engagement. And so, um, no joke, I quoted him twice what I thought he'd be willing to pay, and he paid it. So, yeah. nice. <laughs> that, <laughs> That's that launched, always a blessing. <laughs> yeah, that launched me into the consulting gig, and that led to, from one thing to another thing to another thing and to another thing. And then um, uh, about four years ago, <clears throat> um, I was doing a lot of uh, work with lean process perfor- performance. Um, organizational performance, um, financial performance. And uh, I had a couple of experiences that really got me to, you know, sort of one of these like aha moments where I thought, what else, there's something else going on here than just process improvement and, and uh, organizational performance. And one of those was um, with a large state agency um, annually, this agency licensed and regulated 450,000 healthcare providers, and, um, they were a certifiable mess. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, at every level they were, they were a mess. Just one indication. They knew that their telephone tree was dropping a thousand calls a day. Wow. Um, That's
0: crazy. they had
2: yes they had and and they had 10 people answering the phone and on a good day they had six people answering the phone because everybody hated the job Mm. because as you can imagine when you did get some you know get someone on the line you people were screaming
1: right
2: and um uh so you know i spent several months working with them and um there was light at the end of the tunnel um it was going to take about 18 months to actually implement you know the the work that we had done, and um, I was having my last meeting, kind of a debrief with the uh, the deputy director. And um, I've got my hand on the door; I'm ready to walk away. My briefcase is in my my computer case is in my hand. My coat is on, and in almost a tone of confession, she says, "You know, I don't even tell my friends where I work anymore."
1: Mm.
2: And I turn around. And I said, "Why not?" And she said, it's just too embarrassing. Mm. And that was one of those sort of, um, uh, I wouldn't say crisis moments, but it was one of those pivotal moments for me, because I had heard that same kind of sentiment dozens and dozens and dozens of times. Mm. And I I walked away, I was thinking, you know, there's something criminal. Almost mm-hmm. criminal. When somebody who dedicates their life for a good a good cause, a good reason, they're skilled, they're talented, they're well-educated, by any measure, they they should be working in a terrific organization, and they're embarrassed
1: mm-hmm. to
2: tell their friends where they work. So that sort of catapulted me into looking at leadership and how high performing, high impact organizations approach the practice of leadership. And um, it's become a bit of an obsession with me the last four years that sometimes I wish I could just sort of like push off and let it go away, but I can't. Mm
1: -hmm. Understood. Well, I know we're going to talk about leadership and, you know, a lot that goes into that as well, but I would love to have your definition first of really what is the culture of servant leadership that we'll be talking about today?
2: Okay, great question. (laughs) So servant leadership is generally considered a philosophy um, where power is shared and there's a focus on developing the workforce. Those are the sort of the two key things. Um, uh, empowerment and developing the workforce.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I would argue that um most people understand servant leadership as a personal style of leadership. Um, in a number of podcasts, people say, Well, you know, what style of leadership is the best? It's like, I have no idea.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, because high impact organizations, they don't worry about style. Mm-hmm. Um I, I had um, two interviews uh, with senior officers of the U.S. Army. One was a full colonel. He was 34-year veteran um, within weeks of retirement, uh, U.S. Army ranger. Um, the other was a retired four-star general who had been in the service for 32 years, uh, a highly, highly decorated um Uh, army officer went on to serve in a cabinet position in the Clinton administration. I asked both of these guys, how does the army approach leadership? they both said, we practice servant leadership. Hmm. The subject of personnel style never came up, Hmm. nor -hmm. nor does I think the army cares. Mm -hmm. um, Because they have learned that servant leadership is the best way to accomplish their mission and then the funny thing was they both used a word I was totally unprepared to hear, and that word was love. Hmm. And um, they spoke about how um, servant leadership was is like a pathway to a culture of love.
1: Mm-hmm
2: which you, you wouldn't think of a culture of love being right. embedded in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Army right. or the Marine Corps or Navy or anything else. But if you if we understand that love doesn't have to be some wishy, wishy sentiment, emotional sentiment, love can actually be a verb.
1: Mm-hmm. And um,
2: mm-hmm. uh, and and, you know, the, the General McCaffrey, I, I asked him, I said, how does the Army uh, approach the practice of servant leadership? He says, well, let me give you three three illustrations, three ways. I'll, I'll, I'll just mention one. He said, um, when a helicopter is leaving to go on a mission and soldiers are boarding that helicopter, he said the highest ranking officer is the last one to get on that helicopter. Mm-hmm. And he said, when the helicopter is landing in a hot war zone with bullets flying, who is the first person to get off that helicopter it's the highest ranking officer mm-hmm. because they are symbolically putting themselves in harm's way first
1: mm-hmm. so
2: if anybody can give me a better definition of love than that right. well i'd welcome <laughs> hearing it <laughs> right exactly
1: so i read in your bio too that you've written two books you know and the, one that we're talking about today is, you know, really the topic. So what motivated you to actually write that book about leadership? And why is your book different than others that are out there?
2: Great question. And actually, I struggled with that question before I ever put, wrote one word, because one day I actually did an Amazon search on, on titles on leadership, and there was 197,000 titles.
1: Wow, that's
2: and, a lot. And I thought, you know, the world doesn't really need another one. And, um, but I wasn't looking at leadership in terms of a personal style, a personal trait. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and I'd have to say, maybe it might be too much of a stretch, but I'd have to say almost every other book on leadership deals with leadership as some kind of a personal trait, personal Mm -hmm. style, a set of personal attributes and the idea is, well, here, here is the, the best set of personal attributes, and if you two can follow these attributes, then you know you could be a great leader. Mm-hmm. Um, something that's never been proved to be effective, um, something uh, an approach to leadership that's never proved to work uh, consistently. And so uh, I had this other question, which was, do high impact organizations exhibit any kind of evidence? that their approach to leadership is systemic, meaning there's a system. There's a mm-hmm. way of doing leadership that's defined from the top all the way to the bottom. Uh, leaders are coached, trained, mentored, and evaluated on their modeling of, this, of, of their particular kind of leadership. And um, lo and behold, that is exactly what I found. <laughs> High impact organizations do not rely on the goodwill of individual leaders. They design a system, they coach, they train, they mentor every leader to the requirements of that system. And uh, by the way, I wasn't looking for servant leadership, but consistently that is exactly what I found.
1: Hmm. Interesting. So I would love for you to just talk about the kinds of organizations that you looked at when you did the research for your book and sure. you
2: know, kind of what you learned sure. from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I had, um, just prior to doing the research, I, I was working with a, a healthcare organization and the CEO had called me into his office one day and he said, um, uh, Dan, I want to, I want to design a model of, of leadership so that everybody in this organization, uh, understands what that model is and, and, um, and how to do it. And, uh, of course I've said, Well, of course I could do that. And I literally walked out the door thinking, now, how in the heck am I going to do this? (laughs) uh, (laughs) But this is, that's what we card carrying consultants do. We figured Mm -hmm. we say yes and then figure out how we're (laughs) going to do it later on. Um, But uh, I walked away from that engagement, uh, realizing that it was the most impactful engagement of my career. Hmm. In, in fact uh, the last day I, I was meeting with the senior leadership team after about nine months working with them a woman who is the chief nursing uh, officer in the organization and by any by any given measure uh, personally a terrific leader um, she had uh, you know she'd started out as a nurse you know rose up through the ranks and um, you know she was, personal for me, she was just personally a delight to work with. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And after about nine months, we had this model laid out on a wall, you know, big graphics all over the place. And, um, we'd identify that the purpose or the focus of their leadership system would be to empower the workforce, empower Mm -hmm. their community because they were a community based healthcare organization and empower their patients. And, um, uh, we had the whole model laid out on the wall and, uh, Melissa looked back just like I am right now, her server sort of arms folded. And she mm-hmm. sat back in her chair and she said, you know, I've always been promoted because I was a good nurse.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And then they put this title of leader on me. I had no clue what I was supposed to do. She looks at the wall. She points out, she says, now I know what to do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that is the reaction I've gotten from Every time I've talked about this idea that leadership, including servant leadership can be understood as an organizational system. Invariably, someone will say, you know, I, they, they put this title on me. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what I was supposed to do right now. And now I know.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, it's like in any job that you're going to go into, you need to have some kind of guidelines and know, you know, what's supposed to happen and have procedures and processes in place. So I guess people sometimes think, oh, well, you're good. You know, they'll watch you. Oh, you look like you'd be great in this position, but then they don't right. know necessarily what the expectations are or how they're supposed to perform their duty. Right. So it makes it difficult.
2: Well, and, and unfortunately that is the norm. Mm. So one of the, one of the first people I interviewed for the book is a young man. He was probably 33 or 34 at the time. Um, he was, he's definitely in the millennial, um, generation and, um, uh that's exactly what happened to him. He said he was telling me, he said, you know, I had done I've done really well. I I, I know how to manage projects, especially with hydrology. If you want someone to uh, you know design and manufacture a hydroelectric or a uh uh hydro wastewater treatment plant, you know, he's your guy. He could he could pump them out like crazy.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: you know, he's leading his firm in um um uh using virtual reality in the design and the manufacture of these things. Um, he's uh working for one of the world's largest engineering firms, then they made him a leader. Mm. And uh, when I was talking to him, I said, So let me guess, he sent you off to a month of leadership development school, and mm-hmm. uh, his, his, his eyes got big because he, he takes everything serious. And um, <laughs> you know, and and he says, No, they didn't give me anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. I said, Well, you know, that's the norm, unfortunately, is no training, and certainly. No sense of of how we want to do leadership in this organization, mm-hmm. and it's really unfortunate. In fact, I'd I'd say it's 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 disgustingly unfortunate because it is effectively handing someone the keys to a sailboat mm-hmm. and saying, "Why don't you sail around the world? And if you if you make it back, then you're probably a good leader."
1: <laughs> right. And
2: and you know some 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 never get out of the harbor. Um, you know, some may make it, you know, someplace in the South Pacific where a hurricane hits them or a typhoon, I guess. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, one or two will actually make it back having achieved the objective, but a whole Mm -hmm. lot of people are going to drown in the process. Yeah. And the the cost of that, I think is catastrophic.
1: Mm -hmm. So when you were going to write your book, how did you determine the organizations that you were even going to research?
2: Yeah, great question. And, um, you know, because I was, I, I had sort of started out with a healthcare mindset. That was kind of where I started. Mm-hmm. And I, I quickly realized, well, um, it's got to be broader than that. So
1: mm-hmm.
2: I, I started out looking or got looking for organizations that had done something remarkably well for a long period of time, uh, which really excluded technology because so many technology firms are, are relatively young. Right. Um, I also excluded looking at financial measures of, per, per, of performance because they're too easy to manipulate market driven, mm. <laughs> you know, every, everything else. Um, and, and besides not too many organizations are really going to open up their, their, you know, their checkbook sure. for you to review. So I ended up looking at things like um, uh, employee engagement, uh, employee mm-hmm. safety. Um, uh, I looked at a lot of organizations that practice lean, um, uh, because a, I I understood the language. I could talk with them. Um, and, and organizations like, like the military, who's been practicing mm-hmm. outstanding leadership, not that they do it perfect, but right. they've been, you know, they have been practicing outstanding leadership for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was really the key. I wasn't looking for an organization that had done something special for two or three years.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, I was
2: looking for organizations that had done something special for, five, 10, 12, 15, 20 years or, more, or longer.
1: Right. Which means they had to be well-known and in, in, you know, otherwise how would you even know to find, you know, them like, oh yeah, they're great at X, Y, Z. So they had to be probably, you know, bigger organizations that have been in the news for positive reasons, you know, over the years.
2: Well, yes, yes and no. Um, <laughs> um, uh, but actually, you know, it was, it was interesting, you know, you, you meet people, on airplanes or walking mm. down the street or, okay. you know, at, at a 4th at of July picnic. And, and you tell people what you're looking at and they go, Oh. And, uh, and actually this is what happened one time. Uh, this guy says, you know, I'm, he's a marketing guy. He said, you know, I'm working with this organization. Um, he said, you know, they haven't raised their prices in 20 years.
1: Oh, wow. Uh,
2: and um, so that got my unusual. attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, and he said, they're really good. So I looked them up, found out that they have a tour. Well, that wasn't quite true. They do raise their prices, but they, um, they are, uh, they have 200 employees. And um, just as an example of their level of engagement, and they, they, they intentionally practice servant leadership, Um, 200 employees on their own, Initiate a thousand to twelve hundred and fifty kaizans, or process improvement initiatives, on their own, hmm. um, not driven by you know the CEO, the CFO, or whatever. Um, and each one saves the company about a thousand dollars a year, wow. w- which is the equivalent of four to five percent of gross sales each and every year.
1: Hmm. And they're
2: extracting that kind of waste. Out of their out of their system, so they have enormous flexibility and pricing. What to do with that extra value? What to do with the extra money that it saves them? Um, and it means that they have people who don't quit,
1: mm-hmm. and they employees feel valued because their feedback is being listened to and implemented
2: on the spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes, and, <laughs> and it's in fact when I was I was sitting in my car one morning eating my my morning drinking my morning latte. And I'm getting ready for my my tour of the facility and I'm watching people come in, you know, come into the door. I'm thinking, this is really strange. Everybody is smiling. I'm <laughs> <They're laughs> happy to come to work. <laughs> I know. It, there, mm. it, it it was really it was just it was like it was stunning. I and mean, I've walked mm-hmm. into the front door of a lot of organizations. I've never found one where people are always smiling, just walking
1: mm. in. Nice. I bet that was a wonderful experience.
2: (laughs) It was actually. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. Well, kind of along that lines and you know, you talked about empowering your staff and allowing them to make decisions and things. And sometimes, you know, that's a little bit hard to do. So how did the organizations that you research, how did they actually implement that so they could empower their employees?
2: Yeah, great question. Um, And, you know, we all talk about empowerment and got to empower people. And then most of us turn right around and take that power right back again. Mm. And um, uh, what I found was uh, nothing that was hard, nothing that was complicated, uh, nothing that required a PhD in organizational design or or advanced degrees in anything. It was very, very simple yet and sometimes scary um, activities. So uh, I'll give you one example. Um a friend of mine is the chief medical director of a large trauma uh, center, level one trauma center. And one of the first people I talked to actually uh, for the book. And uh, he said, you know, our former CEO never left her office. It was up on the 12th floor of the hospital. He said, I'm one of her senior leaders. I never saw her. The only communication I had with her was, you know, the occasional, you know, executive meeting and emails.
1: Mm.
2: He said, Consequently, there is no trust of executive leadership. There is no reason to trust executive leadership. He said, we get a new CEO. The first thing he does is move, move the office from the 12th floor to the first floor right behind the admitting center so he can get a sense of the pulse of the hospital.
1: Mm-hmm. He
2: said, he comes by my office at least twice a week. He visits me mm-hmm. and my team at least twice a week, sometimes three he said, relationships are being formed. He said, the sense of empowerment and engagement with my staff is skyrocketing Hmm. just because the CEO walks in and says, hi. Hmm. That's Hmm. one of the most common practices I found. Um, If if an organization or a team leader wants to engage and empower their workforce, this is going to sound kind of crass, but Get your bottom out of your chair and go visit your staff. Mm-hmm. You are giving them respect. Right. You are acknowledging what they do and the value that they do. And oh, by the way, don't forget to say thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, yeah, so that's one one thing. The other thing um, that I found is, uh, again, this goes uh, uh, right to the heart of the air of so much contemporary education about leadership, which is don't be a problem solver. Um, Most of us become leaders based on our ability to solve problems. Mm -hmm. What I consistently found that organizations that intentionally empower their workforce and create really a, 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 a team of empowered, courageous, fearless employees is that they intentionally avoid being problem solvers. Mm-hmm. Um, one hospital that I, uh, I, I, uh, I spent quite a bit of time with, um, uh, the last eight or nine years straight, they have been uh, recognized as one of the safest hospitals in America, um, consistently ranked in the top 5% of hospitals in America. Some have special, uh, speculated that they might even be one of the safest hospitals in the world. Hmm. They train their leaders, do not solve problems.
0: Hmm.
2: So if I'm if <laughs> I'm working for you and I have a problem um, and I come to you with my problem and you solve my problem for me, you've actually made two mistakes.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: One is I've had to come to you. Right. Your job, right. first mm-hmm. of all, is to come to me.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Second thing, you can help me Think about the breadth and the scope of that problem, but you are not to solve the problem for Mm -hmm. me because when it does, you devalue my basic intelligence, my ability to solve a problem. I'm the frontline worker. You disrespect that position and uh, and, and you disempower me. Mm -hmm. But if you help me solve the problem, not give me the solution, but you help me think through the problem, now you automatically... Force me to think about. Mm-hmm. Oh, I am a problem solver. I can mm-hmm. solve problems. I have the energy, the power, the intelligence, and the forethought to solve problems. Now you've just done two things really well.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Not only have you increased my 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 the value that I feel like I'm adding to my my custom my, my company, but you've also helped me become a more self confident human being.
1: Right. Mm-hmm.
2: And, and so you you not only have have made me a more valuable employee. You've helped me become a better, more self-confident, more self-empowered human being.
1: Mm -hmm. So are they, are they asking their employees? And let's say when this is happening and someone comes to them, are they saying like, okay, well, let's think through a couple of possibilities of a solution, you know, and then making them like say that, or do they have them go back? Like instead of doing it right then, do they have them go back and, say, so, okay, I want you to go back and think about it. And then why don't you come with me some, some ideas? Like, what are some examples maybe of what leaders are doing so their employees yep. can come up with those solutions?
2: Yeah, well, the, the training for leaders is would be to help a subordinate think through the scope of the problem, the breadth of the problem. So I think it'd be safe to say they would take that, you know, the, your the, your first approach would be, mm-hmm. okay, let's think it through who else is going to be impacted by a solution. You know, let's think about some of the, uh, the 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 possibilities for solutions. Who's going to be impacted? Uh, do we need to consult with them? Um, do, we need to, do we need to do some kind of a kaizen, or they're they're a big a lean mm-hmm. organization? Do, should we do a, a lean workshop on this to, to think it through? Um, and uh, you know, have you done the five whys? Mm-hmm. And and you know, so they use all of the tools, but ultimately. You know, it, it, you as my leader or manager, you're gonna say, Dan, those the 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 decision is yours.
1: Mm, okay. So they and really
2: put the decision in, in the hands of the subordinate. And that's right. the ultimate empowerment.
1: Well, and sometimes the employee might be scared though to make the wrong decision too. So I think having a leader that knows they might make a mistake at some time, but they can help them learn like maybe what they Did incorrectly maybe or a better way to do something so the next time you know they're even more confident you know and then they'll be able to do that better
2: (laughs) well and that's i that particular hospital i would i would uh put in the category of a deliberately developmental organization Mm. where every leader understands that one of their key roles is to develop their workforce and sometimes Mm -hmm. that means making a mistake Mm -hmm. um Uh, but that, that development is not just technical and professional skills. It's also personal, uh, uh, you know, development as well. Um, and they're very big that, you know, on the idea that we don't just make better doctors and better nurses, better nurses and med techs, better med techs. We also want to create and develop better human beings Mm -hmm. because ultimately that is value that is delivered to the patient.
1: Right. Right. Well, earlier in the example that you were giving where, you know, the person was close to his people and he was interacting and went and talked to them. um, And I know people are probably thinking that's like a great idea, but you don't know, like I have, you know, so many employees or now with Mm -hmm. COVID and people working remote, it's harder to connect. So what would you say in those two examples, either there's a lot of employees and it's hard maybe to connect with everyone and or you know a lot of people now are having to work remotely, so you don't see sure, each other on sure. a daily basis.
2: Yeah, yeah, the the remote thing, um, you know, with COVID, um, you know, hopefully that's coming somewhat to an end. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that, I think everybody's gonna uh, is gonna have to figure out. How do we? How do we? How does leadership connect with the rank and file in a virtual world? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not convinced that we're all going to come back to mm-hmm. what was normal. <laughs> okay. It's, it's going to be a new sense of normal. Mm-hmm. But I think that's one of the key the, the key challenges of, mm-hmm. of leadership in this new normal, whatever it's going to be.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, uh, on the other hand, I have heard people say, "Well, it's I'm just too busy. I can't do this. I can't do that. I've got all these meetings." And frankly, um, to be honest. I think, I think it's an excuse. Mm. Um, You know, one of the things I, in in the book, I start out with saying is uh, understanding leadership, especially servant leadership uh, in a systemic way might be terrorizing for some. Mm. And, and that's, and that's why, you know, one of the, uh, one of the people I interviewed uh, for the book as a guy, he's retired now, but he was the uh, CEO of a, um, hospital in Miss- Mississippi with like 5,000 employees.
1: Wow.
2: Um, no small organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, the joke about John was if you need to see him, don't bother going to his office. Cause he's not there. Mm-hmm. Um, he would regularly eat lunch in the, one of the main cafeterias. They, they like five, I think they own five different hospitals. Um, he would regularly eat lunch in one of the cafeterias just so he can connect with with the staff. He said, I could learn more in a half hour eating lunch with with a group mm-hmm. of nurses than I ever could, you know, right. listening to an, an executive management team or a meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found that consistently with organizations that are really performing at an exceptional level at some way, some form, um, they, they understand that leadership does their best work when they're not sitting in their office.
1: Right.
2: Um, in fact, uh, the healthcare organization, um, that I mentioned a minute ago that teaches their leaders, don't be problem solvers.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, uh, that particular hospital, I think it has 10 stories top, the top floor would be the natural place for the, for the executive suite. It has a, it would have a commanding view of a city, water, snow-capped mountains, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They put their executive offices in the basement. Mm. Because they don't want their, their 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 CEO and their executives sitting in their office all day long. They want them out with the rank and file interfacing mm-hmm. with them, working mm-hmm. with them, coaching and mentoring. And that includes the CEO.
1: Mm-hmm. Again, it's important. So it's also showing that they don't feel that they're just above the regular yes. employees. You know, like I yes. feel the same way with my own staff. Like I don't want to be seen as just like, that leader. And it's like an unreachable person. I want to be seen as just part of the team, right? We're all working together, right? That's how I feel about the company, you know, and the staff that's there. Um, And, you know, I think that's one example that just shows that they value their staff and they're not feeling that they're, you know, worthy of something better. So,
2: well, the, the manufacturing company with 200 people that I, that I referenced um, one of the things I noticed when I walked in the door was, There's no offices.
1: Mm.
2: And when I was talking with uh, one of their senior leaders later, he said, um, he said, you know, we recognize that a office for the CEO, the president of the company um, is an expensive piece of real estate. Mm -hmm. Doesn't add a lot of value to the customer. Right. Adds a lot of value to the CEO or the president, makes Mm -hmm. them feel good. Adds no value to the customer and ultimately disempowers the uh, the rank and file because when there's a problem, they have to go see mm-hmm.
1: the president
2: in his office and be immediately hit with that sense of "I'm the boss and you're not." Right. If you want to talk to the president of the company, he's out on the manufacturing floor or the, or the design floor,
1: mm-hmm.
2: working working directly with um, with the rank and file.
1: Right. Well, and I know when you were, you know, talking about empowering employees, letting them make decisions and things like that. You know, you that's one of the actual like how tos, you know, to actually mm-hmm. start implementing this. Um, but then, are there other tips, you know, that can help somebody know like these are some of the things that you should do to be that leader that you want to be and have your staff feel empowered and engaged.
2: Um. Yeah. Uh, you know. <laughs> it's again, it's, it's one of those things that sounds so simple and it is (laughs) reward them for risk. Mm. Um, this manufacturing company, you know, they give everybody, uh, uh, personal time off, uh, for doing a personal Kaizen, uh, Mm. that's, that's going to save the company a thousand bucks. And, uh, they want that, the process of Kaizen so embedded into the culture, the DNA of the organization and their people that they give their people personal time off. If the Kaizen is for the company mm. or for a personal Kaizen, they still give them paid time off. Um, I heard stories of uh, one guy who had uh, reorganized the inside of a sailboat mm. and and got his PTO. Um, I heard a rather funny story. Actually, the guy who was, who was beating with me, one of their senior leaders, he's probably almost might be 40, maybe Um he told me, I, I thought it was hilarious. He said, um, my wife was very pregnant and I thought I would do her the favor of reorganizing her kitchen pantry. Oh,
1: nice! <laughs>
2: <laughs> he said, fortunately she didn't kill me, but she was not happy, <laughs> but I got my PTO. <laughs> well, he thought he was being helpful, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Some but, people
1: would have appreciated that some people, you know, they like their things their way, but yeah, I mean, that's a good way to look at it though, too. Like you said, it's making them think of what they could be doing to make improvements. Right. You know,
2: it, Exactly. And, mm-hmm. and it's a, it's simple. They, they didn't get a lot. I think it was like 30 minutes or an hour or something of, of PTO, but it was just that acknowledgement
0: mm-hmm. of um,
2: you are valuable. Your ideas are valuable. We, we want your ideas. We want your engagement. We expect it. We hope to get it. Um, and uh, the other thing that that organization did, which was really kind of odd, was um, they, they changed the names of, of leadership. Mm. So, um, you know, in a manufacturing company, they the, the, the traditional names of, you know, this is my lead or this is my manager, manufacturing lead, production lead or whatever. Um, everybody's a mentor.
1: Mm. Oh, nice. Uh, I like that.
2: In fact, uh, in the tour, I, I heard a woman tell a story, she, and she had not been with the company long. Um, she tell, told the story of, of um, her, her job was to take big pieces of foam core material and cut it into parts for furniture because they made high-end custom furniture, um, uh, commercial furniture. And she said, she was telling us the story. She said, I was getting four parts out of this big piece of foam core material but i realized if the size of that material was reconfigured just a little differently i can get five parts out of that mm. so she says i go to my my mentor and i ask my mentor if it was a good idea if she saw the same thing i was saying and how to do this kaizen thing because she hadn't been doing kaizen and so and but every time she used the word mentor she'd sort of go like this <laughs> And, 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 and and right next to her, there was another woman standing there who was very quiet, didn't say a word. Finally, at the end of her story, I had to ask the, you know, the dumb, obvious question. I said, uh, is this woman, your, your supervisor? And she goes like this, I guess so, (laughs) but we just call them mentors. Mm -hmm. Um, but what struck me about that was a, they had empowered the workforce to identify opportunities to eliminate waste. Mm -hmm. And to even take that a step further, they had um, taken uh, the traditional role of the leader manager as kind of a traffic cop Mm -hmm. and made them a mentor to their subordinates, which meant, which, you know, the title means my job Mm -hmm. is to support you as the frontline worker. It's mm-hmm. the ultimate empowerment. The, the funny thing is, and the reason I think so many of us are scared to death of, of empowering others is that we think power is a, is, a, is a known commodity with fixed borders. Right. And it's not. Mm-hmm. When, when, when we empower others, we create more power. Mm-hmm. We don't lose any power of our own. Right. But we create more power for the organization to perform.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: And that's a beautiful thing when you see it in action.
1: Exactly. Well, I know a lot of businesses will say like they have like core values and things like that too. And of course, as individuals, we have values. So where do the values kind of play into that whole concept of servant leadership?
2: Great question. First response is what I found in the research is that high impact organizations really, um, they shrink the importance of core values they raise the importance of foundational behaviors because they recognize that behaviors, behavior, especially of their leadership, that those behaviors is the values modeled in a human, in a human sense. Mm -hmm. Um, When we see someone behave in a certain way, they're modeling values might be their own values or somebody else's values, but they're modeling values. And so um, they shrink the number of core values. What I saw consistently were no more than one to five rather than mm-hmm. 10 to 15. Um, but then they expand the, the role and the importance of core behaviors.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So um, uh, one of the healthcare organizations, the one I mentioned that, that it's down in Mississippi, um, they have, they have a set of core values and they're, you know, they're, public, everybody can look at them. But um, every leader, manager, clinic manager, etc. is evaluated by both subordinates, peers, and supervisors Hmm. based in part on their modeling of a set of foundational behaviors. Hmm. Things like giving your team credit for success, but you take the responsibility if there's a failure.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And uh and every leader and manager is is evaluated at least once a year, sometimes twice a year
1: mm-hmm.
2: on on how well they model those kinds of behaviors. Um and uh you know consequently their the level of engagement for that particular organization um was like in the 96th percentile nationally.
1: Mhm. Mm-hmm.
2: Customer satisfaction was in the top 10% of all hospitals nationally. Um, ranked as one of the best places to work, um, like for three consecutive years. Uh, ranked as one of the most innovative healthcare organizations, like for five consecutive years. And uh, uh, and we wonder, okay, how did they do it? Well, it wasn't it wasn't complicated. Right. Not necessarily simple, but it wasn't complicated. And in fact, when I asked uh, John, this, the retired CEO, I said, uh, and he was one, he, he uh, definitely spoke about servant leadership and, and how he designed a system of servant leadership. Um, I said, so how did your leadership team react when you were rolling this thing out? And he kind of laughed. He said, half of them got up and walked out. Mm. He said, I found out later that half of them were waiting for me to get up and walk out.
1: <laughs> mm. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but nobody walked out. The mm-hmm. their value, the role, the quality of their leadership increased. And by the way, when they got looking for new leadership, new leaders to come in, um, as well as to grow within the organization, mm-hmm. now people knew if they were from within the organization, they knew what was expected. They knew the kind of culture that they were trying to create. It was obvious. And people from outside the organization, they, they could see the kind of culture that was being developed and they would say, I want to work there. Mm -hmm. And, and, and so the quality of, of their hires actually increased um, just by, by focusing on creating a culture and a system of servant leadership.
1: Nice. So, If someone's listening, you know, to this and they're saying, wow, that sounds like something I really want to implement, but I don't even know like exactly where to start. I've never thought about creating a system of leadership. You know, Mm -hmm. what would you tell them would be their first step?
2: Uh, Well, I might say the first step is go to my website. I've got three special reports in the resource section. Uh, They could download them at their their leisure, Um, and I'm happy to give them away. And one is specifically on servant leadership creating a system of, of servant leadership. The other one is, is um, you really need to start with the employee experience Mm -hmm. and uh, you know um, this might might get into the weeds of what a system is a little bit, but a system always produces something Mm -hmm. Um, in your body and mind, There's 11 different systems running our bodies and each one produces something very, very specific that's in support of the whole Mm-hmm. A system of leadership that I found really begins with the, the employee experience. What, you know, if you and I are the, are, the, are the, let's say the co-CEOs of an organization, what's the experience that we want our employees to have on a daily basis? Mm. And um, when I asked, you know, the question, um, I heard things like love, mm. love and grace, relationship, team, respect. Um, Collaboration—it mm-hmm. was all very transcendent um, values, if you will, experiences. When I'm and I'm uncomfortable with that word, I don't think of transcendent and business kind of the same
1: kind of mm-hmm. like
2: love. I don't think of love and business kind of in, in those same okay. context. But yet, that's what I found. Um, some branch of love, uh, loving employees—not a not a squishy, wishy sentimental emotion. Mm -hmm. but an action. And, um, and you got to start there. Um, And I don't, there's no one, there's no one best answer to that. Um, Mm -hmm. I, from, you know, an organization, you know, high industrial, you know, manufacturing company um, employee safety was a Mm -hmm. huge issue. Um, And they focused on that. Um, On the other hand, uh, if you're Google and you're, and you're a team leader in Google, they're going to, they're going to focus on something called psychological safety. Mm -hmm. Um, two sides of the same coin, but each one reflects really the unique um, characteristics of that particular organization.
1: Right. This has been an interesting discussion. I know we're running out of time for today. Um, And I know you did mention if someone, you know, would like to go to your website, they can get, you know, some free resources you have. So, I would love for you, if there's anything else you want to share also that you have as resources, um, but then also tell the listeners how they can find you, whether again, your website or phone number, any way to reach you.
2: Sure. Well, the website is always the best place to start. Um, Also my phone number, I'll give you you my phone number. It's on the website too, but I'll give it to you. It's uh, 425-269-8854. And my policy is I will give anybody who wants to call and talk about leadership and culture um, a minimum of 30 minutes. And if they want to go an hour, that's fine too. Nice. After an hour. And we may have to talk about something else, but yes. <laughs> uh, I'll uh, I've, I'm happy to speak with them. I'm happy. To, I do. Um, I'm starting to do more and more uh, leadership events for organizations um, uh, virtual. And uh, when we get out of this virtual um, environment, uh, hopefully uh, you know, more in person where we spend maybe an hour or two and uh, really working through what is a, what is a leadership, culture look like how to design mm-hmm. culture i use culture and leadership almost synonymously because they're two sides of the same coin mm-hmm. you can't have a good culture without good leadership the result of good leadership is a great culture um and so call me uh send me an email um look at my website i've got i've got a blog there and i've got uh, special reports one on servant leadership one on uh 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 creating a culture of, of of a fearless a fearless organization and the third one i forget at the moment <laughs> okay. um so
1: what That's is your website like daniel is the address hmm.
2: yep yeah, yeah. daniel Eds, edds edds.com oh okay.
1: Just, very just, simple just mm-hmm. very just simple my name.com
2: <laughs> just my name.com yep
1: perfect yeah well i want to thank you daniel for being a guest on my show today and i want to also thank the listeners for tuning in I hope you found this topic interesting and that it answered some questions about designing your system of servant leadership. If you have any additional questions or comments, be sure to reach out to Dan at any of the links that he shared, or you can reach out to us at media at abandp.com. And would you please share our show information with those you know? I'd really appreciate your support. I hope you can join us for next week's show, Failing Doesn't Make You a Failure. And please remember, you can connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And my website is www.abandp.com. And you can also find the links posted on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Until next time, have a great week. Thank you for listening to This Help For You. Please join your host, Candy Messer, again next Tuesday. Have a terrific week.